What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Earn Your Good Day podcast, where we have a fundamental belief that people are stronger, more resilient, and far more capable of things than they believe in or are even told are possible. I'm your host, Zach Kanadi. Now, today's episode is kind of going to be a continuation of last week's. Last week's, I started talking about routines and rhythms, uh, kind of gave an introduction all about a little bit over everything. So today is going to be a follow-up uh, specifically focused on biological routines and rhythms. Uh, next week, make sure you tune into that because that's kind of going to culminate all three of these episodes. Next week is going to be talking about actually implementing some of these in a more practical or uh, less biologically based way. How to use the biology to actually get to our advantage and optimize our day get some more routines, make ourselves more effective, more productive, and get crushing those goals that we all have. Now, before we jump in today, I have a couple asks for you guys. The first one is that you simply share the show if I do a good job, right? Uh, If you learn something, if you find it funny, if you find it informational, uh, if you find something useful out of this, if you think somebody else should hear it, please do me a huge favor and share this show out. I'm trying to grow this show, uh, and the growth depends entirely on you guys sharing it. Uh, So please help me out uh, if I do a good job and share that out for me. The second one is uh, let me know if you guys have any uh, comments, questions, concerns, suggestions for future episodes. I really like uh, having feedback. I'm trying to improve every week, get better, but it's kind of hard to do that if I don't have feedback on what is resonating with you guys, what you guys find useful, the delivery method, all these different things. Uh, If you want to reach out to me, you can go ahead and DM me on Instagram. Uh, My Instagram handle is KanadiFit, that's C-O-N underscore fit, or excuse me, I should learn how to spell my last name, C-O-N-A-T-I underscore fit, Kanadi underscore fit is my Instagram handle. Uh, That's also where I post most of my stuff on social media. Uh, I do inspirational posts, mostly it's workouts, any food I've been eating that uh, sounds especially yummy and I remember to take a photo before I devour it. So (laughs) go ahead and follow me on there, shoot me a DM or a message. Um, Yeah, so if you guys find it useful, share it out and Let me know any comments, concerns, ways I can improve, suggestions for future episodes on Instagram or in person. I love hearing about it, and I think it makes me better. I've implemented a few of those already, and I've heard positive feedback that the show is better because of that. Now, enough of that. Uh, Today, we are talking about biological routines and rhythms, namely this is going to be our what's called circadian rhythm. And today is kind of going to be split up into uh, three sections, right? So we're going to talk about sleep, uh, something that I am improving on. I'm not, if you know me well, I'm not a very good sleeper in terms of I have bad sleep habits uh, compared to what the science says. Our waking cycle, right? It's kind of the antithesis of sleep. We can't talk about one much without talking about the other. And then we'll kind of end today with some bonus tips to kind of tie a few knots 
and questions that a lot of people have and just kind of popular topics if you start looking into any of these areas and I have a call to action for you guys along with those bonuses. So the first one we're going to talk about is sleep, right? And our sleep is kind of split up into 90-minute cycles. They're called circadian cycles or sleep cycles. Uh, They're dependent on our circadian rhythm. Now, each sleep cycle consists of roughly 90 minutes, right? It's not exactly that, but it's pretty close. And to optimize our sleep, we don't want to interrupt ourselves in the middle of one of those sleep cycles, specifically in our REM or deep sleep. So if ideally we would like, it'd be best to sleep in iterations of those 90 minute increments. So either four or six of those, that's six to nine hours of sleep. Uh, most people, I think in the country and in the world can get that. Although I do know myself included, there's a lot of people who don't even get six hours a night of sleep. and there are loads of detrimental effects to your health. Uh, not only affects your learning, your mood regu- regulation, your mental health, uh, your body's temperature, your hormones, your ability to remember, your irritability, your immune system, right? We're like, we're on the tail end of a pandemic and sleep, missing a good night of sleep can actually like drop our immune system functionality, but I think it's like 40 or 50% by a simply by a single night of bad sleep or a single night of an all-nighter uh, which is pretty remarkable and curious as to why like nobody talks about that like just getting a good night's sleep in the midst of a global pandemic you know can boost your immune system well not getting good night's sleep crashes your immune system is the more accurate way to put that uh, by like 50% with just a single night of sleep. So if you're chronically not sleeping well, my hand is raised, uh, your immune system is not functioning very well at all. So might be something pretty important to know and note during a pandemic, but yet here we are two years into it and not many people talk about it. So what are the sleep cycles, right? And what do they consist of? So I kind of mentioned they're each 90 minutes and there's three parts to them and they kind of just repeat and go in order so the first one is light sleep right thing about this is what a nap should be uh, which should just be about 30 minutes or less or 90 minutes or more right so either you want to if we're going to wake up we want to wake up in that first portion of that sleep cycle or get an entire sleep cycle in Uh, That way we'll feel the most rested and rejuvenated if we wake up in the middle of one, say like 45 minutes or an hour in after being asleep. Uh, Usually people actually feel more groggy and tired than when they first fell asleep. Uh, So deep or light sleep is the first one. Then we go into deep sleep. Deep sleep is very important as this is actually when our body physically starts to recover. Uh, So if you worked out really hard or you've been physically really stressed uh, this is when your body starts to do a lot of the repair and the interesting part is this actually takes place primarily so we get more deep sleep if we average out our the portions of our sleep cycles in the first half of the night so the first half of the night 
is when our body does a lot of physical repair, right? And then the last phase, which most people are familiar with, is REM sleep, or when you, you know, people think of the dream sleep. It's REM stands for rapid eye movement. So that means if you look at somebody while they're sleeping in this stage, their eyes move side to side pretty quick. Um, that does not, that is not indicative of dreaming, right? You don't have to dream, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, during this phase of sleep, but it is most commonly associated with this. And the reason being, or why it's hypothesized to be, is because during this uh, phase of our sleep cycle is when we actually deal with a lot of our mental and emotional stress throughout the day. So our brain is replaying the events of the day, um, kind of organizing them and actually reducing the emotional load. So let's say you had a really traumatizing day, you got some bad news. Um, getting enough sleep that night after that bad news is actually going to be really, really important for that to not be uh, weigh on you in the future. And the reason being is because when we get REM sleep, part of what that REM sleep is doing, it seems in correlational studies, is our body is actually removing the emotional load from the day's events. So if we have a really traumatic event, let's say you got fired from your job uh, and now you're, you're already stressed about making your ends meet and now you just have that much more stress because you lost your source of income instead of a lot of people would like want to go out and drink or you know sulk or stay up all night or whatever you actually should get trying go to bed maybe even go to bed early and try and get a long or a really good rest night of sleep because when we get a full night of sleep specifically that REMS part of our sleep cycle we can detach the emotional load of that event so if we have a lot of negative emotions uh, and we don't get good sleep right we stay up all night we go out and party because we just don't want to think about it we drink our problems away you know whatever the coping mechanism is that's actually going to make it worse in the future because now that thought is also paired with a massive emotional load uh which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And it's also interesting when you think about people who have a lot of emotional damage. Most of them, uh, they tend to want to sleep a lot. I think of like depressed people, right? They just, they can't get out of bed. All they want to do is sleep all day. I'd be curious if part of that, why people who have struggled with depression want to sleep all the time is because their body knows they need to like release the emotional load from whatever is causing them that depression, right? And the interesting part is REM sleep, we proportionally get more of that in the second half of our night. I don't know about you guys, but I know me personally, the dreams I remember most are usually right before I wake up or like I'll wake up in the middle of a dream and be like, oh man, like what is that? If, it's if I'm lucky, I can remember it. Right, but halftime I get like 30 seconds and I I know I was dreaming. I have absolutely no idea what it was about though. Uh, and it really sometimes cool nights is I'll wake up before you know I have to get up and I'll actually go back to sleep. And every once in a while I can go back into the dream. Which kind of, I find it cool, especially if it's like a real vivid dream. Uh, you know, you get to almost like relive it and maybe lucid dream a little bit.
But that's our sleep phases or our sleep cycles and the parts of each sleep cycle. So remember, those are in 90-minute increments. And you want to try and get as close to one of those 90-minute increments as we can. So hopefully it's more than four and a half hours. Uh, it's closer. It's more like between six to nine hours. I know me personally, I average about six hours a night of sleep. Uh, I wish it was closer to seven and a half, to be honest with you, because on nights I do get seven and a half. I feel really rested and rejuvenated. I have a lot of energy. Uh, and even my Fitbit tracker, like my sleep score is usually about 10 to 12 points higher on those days, which that's tracking like indirect measures of sleep, more like oxygen saturation and breathing rate and body temperature and all that. So it's not literally tracking if I'm asleep or not, but regardless, I wear it every night. So it's, you know, the consistency factor is there, which that's a, uh, a really important point with our sleep cycles and our circadian rhythm in general. So circadian actually means about a day. Now it's not exactly 24 hours. It's actually just a little bit longer than 24 hours. And so when we have our daily rhythm, we really want need to be consistent with it, specifically with our sleep time and more importantly i think our wake up time um, because those things along with a couple other things such as eating and exercise actually reset our clock every day and in the minute i'm going to talk about like ways to do that and keep it really precise so that every day you're getting in a really good routine your body can be in a good rhythm um and it actually is going to improve literally every function of our life of our body which then improves our life and it's kind of incredible how much it's improved by um, by doing this thing but so try and be really 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 consistent of our bedtime and our wake up time now every once in a while you know like if you go out with, on the town with some friends have a couple drinks, whatever. That's not going to like hurt you. But if you're repeatedly going to bed, you know, at 9 p.m. one night and then 2 a.m. the next night and then 3 a.m. the next night and then back to 10 p.m. and you're constantly bouncing back and forth, you're going to throw your body into such a dysregulated state. Uh, you're going to be have terrible immunity. You can like... And we'll talk about, it. you can actually present and give in animal studies, you can give animals anxiety and depression just by screwing with their sleep. Uh, also, almost every single mental health disorder, sleep issues are one of the key symptoms of it, right? Whether it's insomnia, hypersomnia, um, you know, just restless sleep, extremely vivid dreams, right? Some issue with sleep is present in almost if not all mental health factors so getting sleep i'm not saying it's going to cure whatever mental health struggle you're getting with but it's definitely not going to exasperate those symptoms you're already seeing and likely it's going to detract or reduce the severity of some symptoms you're having so what are some like hygiene tips that we can all start to implement around sleep specifically 
to get better quality sleep. All right, so aside from consistency, a couple things that we can do is, well, one, wake up and try and wake up within two hours of when you normally wake up every single day. So I know a lot of us, you know, the Monday through Friday grind, uh, you wake up early, go to work, and then Saturday and Sunday, you want to sleep in and, you know, catch up on sleep is what everybody thinks. You actually can't do that, and it's, it's actually better if you just stay consistent with your sleep and maybe just take a nap in the afternoon uh, rather than just sleeping in late. Because when you sleep in late, you actually tell your body that it's later in the day, and now it's going to shift all your rhythms later on. So instead of you know being bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 6.30 on Monday, how you'd like to be for work, you actually don't get awake until you know 7.30 or 8.30 and your first three, four hours of the day are a terrible grind and then you can't go to sleep until late on Tuesday, which then you know makes, or Monday night you can't go to sleep, so which makes Tuesday harder, right? And then you don't feel normal until Wednesday or Thursday again, but you know then Thursday or Friday comes along and it's happy hour going out to drinks with uh, friends and coworkers and you're like, ah, oh, we're at the end of the week, yes. And you feel good going into the weekend, screw up your sleep cycle again uh, and then it just repeats and Monday is always this terrible 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 thing right Monday moodies uh, is a common theme we can avoid that just by getting up relatively at the consistent time right so within two hours uh, which I think two hours sleeping in is quite a bit you know maybe we'll go for three just so we you know stay with those full circadian sleep cycles but the other one uh, that's really important is uh, turning off, dimming the lights, you know, about an hour or two hours before you start going to bed. Uh, this does a couple things. So we have cells in our eyes that tell our brain and a specific area in our brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus uh, what time it is throughout the day. And that's determined by the amount of light or photon energy our retina are receiving and fun fact our retina are the only parts of brain that are outside the skull so in early in development the body and the brain specifically shoves out the retina which is the back of your eyeball and outside of the skull and then your eyelid your eyeball forms around that uh, and this is, you can think of like a camera, right? The plate that receives all the light and then transmits that to an electrical single signal, which your brain and the camera, you know, turns into a picture. That's literally what our brain does. So our retina receives all the light energy, translates uh, the amount, concentration, wavelength, you know, all these intensity, all these different things about the photon energy, translates that into an electrical signal, signal, uh, signal that then goes through the optic nerve and right above the roof of our mouth crosses what's called the op or the suprachiasmatic nucleus and then it will go into our uh, occipital lobe which is in the back of your head. So when it crosses the suprachiasmatic nucleus what that region of your brain is looking for is the intensity and the amount of light as well as contrasting uh, frequencies of light so wavelengths 
right? And that's how we get, if we look at the color spectrum of light, right? White light is actually made up of all colors of light. They're all just conjoined into one. Um, the Pink Floyd album cover, right? Where there's a light beam going into a prism and then a rainbow comes out. Well, it, the prism didn't emit the rainbow. It actually just fractured the beam of white light into the different frequencies. And that's why we see the rainbow. If you put it through another prism, it could actually come back out the same beam of light. Instead of being a rainbow again in the middle, it is now again a white beam of light. And that's because all of those colors have then reconverged into one beam instead of being fractured out into seven uh, for the seven main colors. Obviously, you have hues and intensities and all the different shades, but that's besides the point. So turn these off before, you know, about an hour, two hours before we go to bed. You know, if you can't do that, uh, the further out you can turn them off, especially around sunset, the better. And this also is important because those retina cells, and this is where blue blockers come in, uh, they get more and more sensitive the longer we're awake. So right in the morning, which we'll talk about in a little bit, they're not very sensitive. So we need a lot of light to kind of stimulate our brain and kickstart us. Uh, but in the evening, they're very sensitive. So even small amounts of light can keep us awake and can push us to stay awake longer and there's actually an area of the brain that if we view really bright lights in the middle of the night right so i'm talking between about 10 or 11 p.m to roughly 4 a.m so right before sunrise uh we actually have what's a punishment circuit in our brain you're like zach come on now don't tell me my brain is punishing me for looking at instagram at midnight because you know, I'm missing this one person and I want to feel some dopamine or whatever, you know, or I'm just bored and I can't go to sleep. Well, it actually is. And we, we might not feel it as pain, right? Or disappointment, like when your parents put you in the corner and like, time out, you're bad boy, bad kid. Um, how we feel it is it, it does a couple things. One, it plummets our melatonin, which is the hormone that tells us to go to sleep and calms us down and actually allows us to fall asleep. Uh, we produce it. You can take it exogenously. You can take it in supplement form. However, that just helps you fall asleep. A lot of people rely on that. Some people report having issues staying asleep through the night, so they might wake up a couple hours later and have troubles. Uh, and the interesting thing, if you take hormones exogenously, your body might register that and realize that you don't need to make as much. So if you stop taking it, you're going to kind of have like a rebound period where your body just won't produce as much melatonin as it naturally would because you've been supplementally um, giving it to your body. So your body's like, oh, cool. I don't have to make anymore. We're already at our limit. You know, we'll just shut off production for the night. Uh, and if you don't get that exogenous input, uh, your body kind of like freaks out and you might have trouble for a couple nights falling asleep. But just a side note, use that, talk to your physician as you wish. But if you use that, just realize that may be a possibility. And also what it does is it actually makes us, the next day, makes it really hard for us to secrete dopamine. And you're like, 
all right, Zach, how does dopamine have, like, why do I care about dopamine in sleep, right? Isn't dopamine like the feel-good molecule, uh, you know, like that I get when I create, uh, achieve my goals? Yes and no. A more accurate description of dopamine is the molecule of pursuit and desire. Uh, so, yes, you do get a release of dopamine when you accomplish your goals, and especially if you have like a really big celebration. However, we get more and dopamine is more likely to get a result and to be, it is more along the lines of the pursuit of a goal rather than the achievement of a goal. And we know this because of a rat study. Uh, so they took two rats or two groups of rats and they gave them the ability to just push a button and get a food pellet that they taste that tasted good. And you know, then the rats got hit a dopamine because it because the food tasted good. Well then the one group of mice was normal and so they did it where the rat was close and just was like literally it's, it'd be like laying in a bed and just ringing a bell and having food come to you. Right? And then the second group of mice they actually went in and you can destroy the dopaminergic neurons uh, with a neurotoxin. It doesn't kill the mice at all. It just kills their dopamine neurons. And then they remove, and so that was group two. Then they moved both mice one body length away from the food pellet machine, okay? And the mice, the normal mice, still went up and got the food and actually like got the extra hit of dopamine when they got the reward. However, the group of mice that had their dopamine neurons destroyed would not even move a single rat's length away, right? So our rat's like four to six inches, three to six inches. So that means, and they still got the pleasure of the food, right? So they're not denying them that because they still enjoy the food because we know that when they're up close, they still press the button and they got the food. However, when we move them away and they did not have dopamine in their system, they were unwilling to move one body length to, away from where their current position was to get food, right? So they're unwilling to move a relatively small amount to get pleasure, which means dopamine is actually a molecule of seeking, Right, and you can think about this. Uh, it's you seeking the achievement of goals, right? You seeking the achievement of some reward. So this could be grades. Um, when you're hungry, dopamine is released because now you have to go out and you seek food, right? Which begs the question: Are we? Are are is a lot of our motivation for pleasure or for the avoidance of pain? Uh, and I think it's probably a common, it's obviously a combination of both, but I'd be curious to like, if there's studies out there, I haven't looked, um, where we, more of our drive comes from the avoidance of pain rather than the attainment of pleasure. I'd be interested to see that. Like, do we, are we driven more so to gain pleasure from things or to avoid pain? But yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, so just a little side thought. And so now this is the next day. Let's say you're going to work and your 
you know, you have your normal work schedule. If you have a lower ability to produce dopamine, you're going to have a harder time getting yourself motivated to do work, right? So especially Mondays, think about this, right? Or Sunday, you know, Sunday and Monday, you're going out two previous nights, you're going out partying, you know, the bars, they got bright lights in them. Uh, so it's going to be, and you're probably out past 10 p.m. <laughs> if you're most people who go out to the bars drinking, maybe not. Some people go home early, but you know, you go out and you're viewing all these dance lights. The party lights are going crazy. The strobe lights, maybe it's super bright in this dark room. Uh, and the next day you wake up and you just don't want to do anything. Maybe you're not even hung over, right? Like your body physically feels fine, no headache, no anything because you didn't drink that much. But you just don't feel any motivation to do anything or like it feels like an extra struggle to pull yourself out of bed uh, or an extra struggle, you know, to just get going for the day. Maybe even making coffee sounds like a chore. Or before, you know, you kind of jump out of bed and be like, ah, yes, coffee. Like I'm going to get my cup of joe and it's going to taste so good. I'm going to finally feel energized. Yes. Uh, but even that like doesn't have the same pull on you that it normally does. That is because when we view bright lights late in the evening, and remember, they're more, our retina are more sensitive the later in the day and the evening we go. So it doesn't take nearly as much light as it would uh, earlier in the day. So, right, the relativity of brightness shifts. So this could be just looking at your phone. Oftentimes, like if you wake up and go to the bathroom, maybe don't turn on all the lights, see if you can do it in the dark, uh, or just have a nightlight in the bathroom so ju it's just enough to see. Even a candle lit, oh, there's fire hazards, you know, so be careful with that. But the bright light's actually gonna cause us to have an inability to secrete dopamine or as much dopamine the next day, which is going to crush our motivation, like our chemical motivation, not like the will you have to do things, although it will result in that, um, but your chemical drive to go achieve things. So that's kind of, that's kind of crazy, right? Because your body is now punishing you for not taking care of it by making it harder to take care of it the next day, um, which is yeah, that's kind of wild to think about. It punishes, your body punishes itself for not taking care of itself. You know, now we're like, are we really, are we our body or is our body us? You know, where's that? That's like, anyways, that's like that soul, mind, brain and type debate, which we're not going to get into today. Um, yeah, this also, you know, it's going to disrupt our mood, our energy the next day, even two days right and then even our immune system which we talked about earlier also so that's kind of moving on now some other keys to fall asleep better right those are th some things to avoid bright lights or dim the lights going into bed uh, and especially in the later parts of the evening between 10 p.m and 4 a.m really try not to get bright lights in your eye uh, but going to sleep try and relax our body has a natural temperature cycle where when we sleep, our body actually drops temperature. That's part of why we slow down in the evening. 
uh, and then when we're active during the day, our body temperature actually increases. And we have a temperature minimum about two to three hours before we wake up. Uh, it's kind of usually when we're kind of like the deepest part of the night, you know, it's the worst to wake up during that. And that's not only because it disrupts our sleep, but our body temperature is lower. And so now we have less heat energy to kickstart the chemical reactions that are going on in our body. So in the evening, try and have a relaxing routine. Um, you know, this would be a good time to like set yourself up for the next day in a relaxing way uh, so that you can kind of get those things off there. You know, you're going to be thinking about that night, you know, maybe reduce some of that overhead anxiety so you know what's coming up. You don't have to worry about it. So those ruminating and looping thoughts maybe aren't there as much. That is something that really, really helps me uh, fall asleep is just being prepared for the next day. I don't have that anxiety or that worry about, oh no, what's next? Am I going to miss anything? Am I prepared? Um, I just don't have that if I prepare for the next day. And then also just trying to relax a little bit, like mentally and physically, just slow down, cool down. So this would be a good time if you take showers in the evening or multiple showers a day or even baths, uh, taking a warm shower or a warm bath, uh, the increase in heat from our bot from the water is actually going to trigger our body to try and cool off, right? Because that's we've talked about earlier homeostasis. Our body really likes to stay in this tightly regulated uh, rhythm, which is dynamic throughout the day, as we're kind of talking about. But if we take a warm bath or a warm shower in the evening, our body's going to want to cool us down which is gonna help us kind of fall off and whisk off into sleep. And then the other one would be sleep in a cool room. Now I'm not talking frigid like 40 degrees, but you know, lower to mid 60s, I think 65 is actually what's reported to be the ideal sleeping temperature for most people. Now I'm not saying you should shiver at night, right your comforter in your bed can still be warm but the room itself should be kind of cool and i think this is nice too because then your bed at least i feel is more cozy at night right like i want to snuggle in i want to just be whisked off uh and you know wrapped up tight in my comforter just i don't know it feels good all right and so all of these things are going to help us wake up rested recharged feeling ready for the next day. And so that's kind of what we're going to switch to now is, all right, what do we do in the morning and during the daytime when we're not sleeping to have the most energy and so that we continue to get quality sleep for suck, um, subsequent nights, right? So in the morning, again, I've already talked about, we want to wake up at the same time or around the same time every single day. I would say give yourself about a two-hour window um, so if you wake up at 6 during the week, try not to sleep much later than 8 uh, on the weekends. That's just so you don't shift your sleep phase too much. And then right when you wake up, most people wake up around within a few hours of sun, sunrise. Go outside and get some sunlight. Even if it's a cloudy day, try and go outside and get some sunlight. Now, if you wake up before the sun rises or it's still dark out when you're up, this is when it's going to actually be a good time to turn on your artificial and internal lights because 
they have that blue light and that blue light is going to cause that suprachiasmatic nucleus the most stimulation. It will respond to all other forms of light, but blue light has the most energy in it, its wavelength. Uh, so this is where blue blockers come in, right? They don't wear them during the morning or, or during the day when you're trying to get as much light in, right? Because the more light we can get into our system, that tells our body to be alert. It tells our body to be awake. It tells us to be energized. Now in the evening, when we're trying to shut those systems down and slow down, and we don't want to be alert, we don't want to be energized, that's actually a good time to wear those blue blockers. Um, but, and the reason sunlight is important and it has to be outside is because most windows actually drop the intensity by like 50%. Uh, so you're only getting you know, half or less of the amount of photon energy viewing the sunlight through a window and it's even more, I think it's like a hundred times it was like through a tinted window, uh, which is quite in, insane. And specifically sunrise is, it's because the contrast between blues and yellows is changing, right? So blues are getting more yellow as the sun rises and more light energy, more photon energy is coming into the atmosphere. Also, the sun is much, much much more intense and much more potent of a source of photons than any artificial light. Now, they do make sunlight uh, replicators, like they're supposed to duplicate sunlight. That's better than nothing, especially if you live in a part of the world or you know it's a season where it's dark more often or you have less daylight. Uh, those are useful. But just realize because it's not as potent as the sunlight it's going to take a lot longer for you to get that accumulation of that photon energy to kickstart and tell that suprachiasmatic nucleus to jumpstart the rest of our body now what actually is going on when we view this light right so we're looking out and let me preface this please don't look at any lights that you have to turn away from or hurt to look at you can actually burn your retina by doing that and cause vision damage and eye damage, and that's not good. I had a camp counselor uh, a long time ago in Scouts who wore glasses, and he said, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to have staring contests at the sun. He's like, and now I have to wear glasses because of it. He, I don't know if he was, like, joking or serious, but you can actually burn your retina if you look at bright light, any bright light for too long. Uh, so just, just be mindful of that. Don't – it shouldn't hurt, like – you shouldn't have to turn away from it. If you want to turn away from it, turn away from it, right? You can look at it indirectly and still get those photons in your eye. Um, but our artificial light inside tends to be a much more concentrated and lower intensity light. So the reason, yes, it looks really, really bright to look straight into a flashlight, but that's because there's, you know, it's coming from such a small point, whereas the sun has so much photon energy being emitted that's like everywhere you look has the same amount uh, so it's just a much more intense way to view light and so going outside but what's actually going on is when that retinal and photon energy reaches a super chiasmatic nucleus in the morning it actually causes our body to spike cortisol and most of us know cortisol as the stress hormone and yes 
your body is getting stressed in the morning, but it is not a bad thing, right? Your body doesn't know. Uh, stress is simply a word for arousal, right? It's how much activity is going on. Now, chronic stress, right, that is not good. But spikes, especially in the morning, are actually good, normal, and healthy. Because if we didn't have this spike, we would be groggy all day and it would take us hours to get kick-started. Uh, there's, there's no trigger to tell our body to go from sleeping to waking. So the spike in cortisol that's triggered by the light in the morning is what tells our body to go from sleeping to waking so we can actually be alert for the day, so we can actually be attentive, so we can go to work and accomplish our goals. So it's very important that we allow this natural spike to happen. The second really important thing is this actually sets off a timer for melatonin release about 16 hours after we wake up. Now that's not exact <clears throat> and it's not always going to be 16 hours for everybody. For some people it might be 14, for other people it might be 18, right? But 16 hours kind of seems to be the average and the most common interval of time from when we have that uh, cortisol spike to then we have that subsequent uh, melatonin spike. So that's our, this light is literally telling us to wake up and it says, hey, in 16 hours, I'm going to tell you to go to sleep, all from viewing light in the morning. Now, we do have other ways to regulate this circadian rhythm, such as food and exercise, but light happens to be the most intense and the most direct way. Uh, so it's the most powerful way we can use it. And so that kind of leads me into the more continuation in the morning and caffeine, right? Most people love, including myself, love caffeine, right? I have a cup of coffee almost every day or some form of caffeine pretty much every day. Coffee, I honestly, I don't even know how much the caffeine gets me anymore. I just love the smell and the taste of a good cup of coffee in the morning. It's just something about that routine and drinking it and waking up and all the things that go along with the morning cup of joe, uh, the smell of it. I want, I want another cup now. <laughs> uh, but coffee is not a bad thing, right? All, a lot of us use it. It's There's actually some protective benefits to it uh, in terms of our dopamine neurons and even protection against Alzheimer's or some speculative research going on with. But I'm here to tell you a couple ways to actually optimize our caffeine use so we get more bang for our buck. And the first one is I have to explain what caffeine does and why we don't want to actually drink it right away when we first wake up. We actually want to wait uh, at least 30, if not closer to 90 minutes after waking to ingest caffeine. So what does caffeine do? Well, the main thing people think it gets you alert and it does because it's a central nervous system stimulant. Okay, so it's going to increase the activity in our central nervous system. That is that boost of energy. Now there's a second and I would say more critical piece of it in terms of like long-term use. And I mean like the day having it last through the day. Uh, and that is, it is an antagonist to a molecule called adenosine. Okay, you might've heard of adenosine and ATP, adenosine triphosphate. 
or in DNA replication with adenosine, uh, guanine, thiamine, and cysteine, right? So it's, it's a very used molecule and it's part of a lot of different chemicals, but just adenosine actually is the molecule that drives our sleepiness. So when we have a lot of adenosine built up in our system, we feel very sleepy. And when we don't have a lot of adenosine, we feel rather awake. Now, as we go throughout our day, we start the day with a relatively low amount of adenosine, and then, excuse me, it builds up, excuse me again, my apologies, uh, the longer we're awake. So if we've been awake for 12, 16, 18, 19, 20 hours, we're having an increasing amount of adenosine build up. Uh, and so we get more and more tired throughout the day, specifically at the end. Now when we add caffeine to the mix, right? Caffeine has a half-life or yeah, it has a half-life of about eight hours. So by the time we hit eight hours, it's not a half-life, but by the time we hit eight hours, caffeine is pretty much metabolized in our body completely, so it should not have any more effects on us, whether that be stimulatory or uh, sleep altering. Right, just kind of we've used it all up. It's broken down, and we've probably peed it out. But that also explains why about two o'clock, because most people wake up around six, you know, have their cup of joe. You know, between two and four o'clock, we usually get that crash. Well, caffeine, its main job, aside from stimulating our central nervous system, is it binds to the same receptors that adenosine does. So now it's essentially blocking that tiredness signal. Right, so you may not even be uh, more alert, right? If you drink coffee, but you won't feel the tiredness, which could be, you know, to you that could just be feeling more alert, uh, not having the absence of sleepiness. That is very possible for some people. And so, right then, once the caffeine wears off, now we've had this buildup all day for the past eight hours of adenosine. And then boom, the caffeine's gone. So we get this sudden rush of adenosine buildup. And that's kind of that crash after caffeine. Uh, so we want to be careful of that and mindful of it. Because if we have it too late, you know, we have too much caffeine, right? Like we drink it when we hit that crash. Well, now uh, the next time we have that crash is maybe not going to be until 10 p.m. or 11 or midnight. And now we're really having issues with our sleep. So having, you know, just coffee in the morning and also we have different genetic phenotypes. So you have to know yourself. Most people uh, having coffee past like 2 p.m. really isn't going to be beneficial. Uh, it's actually probably going to be deleterious to your sleep, which is going to make you need more of it the next day, which is going to worsen the thing long term. Um, but have coffee and I would actually wait about 90 minutes. And here's why. Because when we first wake up, we still have some residual adenosine just from sleeping and it hasn't all cleared out. It's part of the reason why you feel a little bit groggy usually when you wake up. Uh, so give ourselves like half hour to, to 90 minutes to clear out that residual adenosine. Because now, you know, our tank is completely emptied. So we have less buildup happen once that caffeine is metabolized. So if we start from zero versus 20%, you know, now 20% at 2 p.m. 
feels like 99% versus it might only feel like 75%, right, of the amount of tiredness and crash we're going to get. So waiting that about half hour and just letting that adenosine be metabolized naturally uh, will be really beneficial. And it's actually going to cause your caffeine to last probably longer, cleaner. You're not going to get as much of a crash uh, in about eight hours. And another thing I would also do is have ice water uh, with your coffee. And the reason I say ice water is because the coldness actually stimulates our central nervous system. It makes us more awake. We get a, a release of epinephrine or adrenaline, right? They're the same thing. And that can be just as stimulatory. It's actually shown to be just as stimulatory as a cup of coffee. And it has an added benefit as you get hydrated so you don't uh, lose, right? You're not losing as much water because caffeine's a diuretic. So that's kind of how to optimize our coffee use is wait, you know, 30 to 90 minutes before waking up and then alternate every cup of coffee with a cup of ice water. So if you have, I would say start with ice water, you know, that's going to hydrate you in the morning. It's going to wake you up a little bit. Wait that half hour to an hour or 90 minutes or so. Have your cup of coffee. You know, once you finish that, have another cup of ice water. Uh, so now you've essentially had three cups of coffee with only the effects of one cup's worth of caffeine. So that's pretty good because you're getting a lot more stimulatory effect, a lot more hydration benefits, and we're going to have a reduced uh, crash at the end of that from the massive rush of adenosine to those receptor molecules, which is going to make us feel so, 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 so tired. Um, yeah. And then throughout the day, guys, once we've kind of got our morning sunlight in, we've started our kickstart our day, maybe had our cup of joe. Throughout the day, we want to try and get as much sunlight specifically or just bright light in general into our eyes as possible. And again, this is just going to tell us to stay more awake, more alert, more focused, more energized, able to be more active throughout the day. And then, you know, once dinner time or sunset kind of comes, we kind of want to match the sunset as we dim our lights. And then once it's dark, you know, just really trying to minimize the amount of light. The cool thing though is candlelight and uh, red light. Candlelight and firelight have almost no impact on your circadian sleep cycle they found. And red light has the lowest stimulatory effect of that uh, suprachiasmatic nucleus, which tells us to be awake. So if you can have low levels of light, and if you really can't, try and switch to flame light, candlelight, or, or firelight, and red lights in the evening. And that way you can keep the room brighter and have less of an impact on your sleep cycle. Now, some of the extras I want to talk about, because we've kind of covered sleeping the whole day uh, and caffeine use, is I want to talk about exercise and food and keeping these consistent throughout our day. So a lot of times in today's world, we're not actually in a shortage of food, right? You can call Uber Eats, you can call GoPuff, you can walk around your cabinet or your fridge and you'll have plenty of food. Also, almost every one of us has some sort of adiposity, if not an excessive amount, as America is the second fattest country in the world. Um, so we are not short on energy. The average person can last three weeks or longer uh, without any food. 
There's actually the longest person. They had a morbidly obese person. They were like 450 pounds or something. They didn't eat food for almost an entire year. Uh, and all they did was give them B vitamins, which helps your metabolism so you can burn fat easier. But they had no issues. They had no uh, malnutrition. And I am not saying go out and do this. I'm just using it as a way to preface that we are never in today's world. Like most, the vast majority of people are not short on food, right? We have an excess of food. The U.S. actually throws away almost 40% of the food we produce, which is asinine, right? Because there are homeless people in the U.S. that actually don't have money for food. And then there's starving people around the world that literally die of starvation. Yet we throw away almost half of our food. Um, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. It's just irritating to me. Clean your freaking plate, people. All right, and don't take more than you need. Don't buy more than you need. Don't throw away used food because you freaking forgot about it. Screw going out. Save the money. Cook the food. Actually, don't be contributing to the system of waste that we have. It's freaking ridiculous. Um, but <laughs> exercise and food tend to be timed every day, right? Like you notice you're at work, you know, 11 hits, you're not real hungry. All of a sudden, 11.45 hits, and you're like, man, I'm freaking ravenous. Um, that's not because you all of a sudden ran out of food or you ran out of calories and energy in your body. That's because our circadian rhythm triggered the release of hunger hormones, ghrelin. Uh, it makes your tummy grumbly. You can remember it by. To be released. And now you're feeling the effects of that hormone release. Right, same thing with breakfast, same thing with dinner, same thing with lunch. Every time you eat, whether it be one time a day or twelve times a day, if you get if you eat consistently at those times, your body is going to get used to it and it's going to trigger the release of hunger hormones simply because that's what it does. It doesn't mean you're lacking energy, it doesn't mean your body has no energy, it just means you had a release of hormones that cause you to feel hungry, right? So that's what those are. So if you feel hungry, right? And I bet you if you ever waited 45 minutes or an hour, that feeling of hunger would go away, right? And I am not um, campaigning for people to skip meals. Uh, I'm just trying to give you some science and some understanding of your body and why it works the way it does. If you do choose to only eat one or two meals a day or in a restricted window, that is your choice. I would suggest talking to a professional, a dietitian, or your uh, physician beforehand and talk about the possible negative impacts of that or the struggles of switching to that form of eating before you just willy-nilly jump on it because uh, it, it is not right for everybody and there are other ways to get a lot of the benefits of those styles of eating. Uh, than just skipping meals. Also, disordered eating habits are not good. So please, uh, if you're curious about that, it is better safe than sorry, as eating disorders are extremely severe. Even if it's not a full-fledged eating disorder, disordered eating is huge. It can be a huge issue. Um, so just be wary. Again, we're just strictly talking the biology of what happens, not what you should or should not do. Uh, just please be careful around this topic as it can get pretty serious. Um, right, and so if we do those at the same time, meaning exercise and eating, 
these are also going to be uh, cues to our internal clock, our suprachiasmatic nucleus, to keep our clock on track. It's going to continue to almost reset it. It's like, oh yeah, okay, it is 12 o'clock. Oh yeah, it is 5.30. Oh yeah, it is 7 a.m., right? And so the more consistent we can be, the more consistent our body is, the more consistent our hormone releases, the more consistent our learning is going to be, the better our sleep is going to be, the more consistent our energy levels and alertness throughout the day are going to be. And that leads me to my final point of this whole speech and this whole talk today. And that is with this system, whether we get it right or wrong, if we can get one thing right, it will have massively beneficial effects. And that is be consistent. If you can get seven out of seven days of the week going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time, 90% of your year, 95% of your year, you are kicking butt, okay? Because what this system wants the most is consistency. It's reset every 24 hours. You get So you get hungry at the same time. Um, so you're active at the same time. So you have energy at the same times every day, right? This is the basis of our life, right? And if this gets out of whack, it screws up literally everything. It screws up your immunity. It screws up your hormones. It screws up your mood. You can give yourself... Uh, you can start to present depression and anxiety symptoms if you get this wrong for more than a couple, for more than a week, right? It's ridiculous how much this uh, affects. You can also, there's even a doctor, um, I, oh gosh, his name's escaping me. He's actually the gentleman who discovered the cells that receive light, the photon energy in the retina um, he, and like start the timer of the circadian rhythm. But he actually used his circadian rhythm um, and paired it to lose like 80 pounds. He was almost 300 and now he's about 220, right? Uh, he didn't do anything ridiculous. And he even found if he just changed his exercise time from in the morning to in the evening, he it dysregulated his hunger. He had much less impulse control and he actually gained weight. So all these things are kind of crazy that simply just getting out of phase can have such a massive impact. And I also to say he's probably more sensitive to those impacts uh, just because it's literally what he revolves his life around. But that's not to say that we aren't. We might just not be conscious of those changes day to day and what's actually causing them. So I want to end today, guys, with uh, a call to action to you. And that is to... Find a morning or an evening routine and a bedtime and a wake-up time for either of those respectively that you can stick to, right? Uh, You don't have to be great and be perfect every single day, but the more days you can follow this routine, the better you will be. Uh, The better your body's going to function, the better you're going to feel, the less symptoms or the less severe symptoms of mental illness you're going to feel. And everything is just going to improve the more consistent you can be on this. So that's my call to action. Pick one, uh, pick both if you're feeling really confident and just stick with it for a week and see how you feel. I would suggest doing the wake up time and getting sunlight in your eyes because uh, sometimes bedtime can be hard, but just get something that consistently every day you can reset this clock and have a good time. 
and just get better. So with that, guys, I know I covered a ton of information in the past hour, um, but I hope it was useful to you. If you found the show beneficial, please go ahead and share it for me. Tell somebody about it. Have a conversation. Post it on social media. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes for me, go ahead and DM me on Instagram at Kanati, C-O-N-A-T-I, underscore fit, F-I-T. Uh, it's going to be the best way to reach me. Uh, guys, also I'm doing personal training and nutrition counseling. So if you're interested in that, working with me, uh, one-on-one training, in-person training if you're in Ames or soon to be in Indianapolis, you can go ahead and do that. If you want programs or just basic questions about nutrition, go ahead and DM me as well on Instagram. Again, that's Kanadi underscore fit. Um, I'd love to help you. My whole philosophy and training is to be able to live your life to the fullest and have your body be an asset, not a liability. Um, guys, our body is the greatest tool ever and I believe in making it the best so that we can have the best life possible. Um, and today I think is really one of those great maintenances for our tool. So yeah. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. Go out, earn a good day and get your sleep wake cycles right. Peace.